Babylon or New Jerusalem? Which are you going to choose? Sometimes we play this game at, at my house where um, when, when the boys are maybe riding around on a flying, a, a riding toy like a plasma car or a trike or a bicycle, I'll stop them and, and make them answer a question before they can continue on and do another lap. Simple questions, you know, what's your favorite color? Or what's your favorite food? What's your, your favorite animal? And they answer and then I go, then they can go around again. Sometimes I ask them, like the either-or questions, like beach or mountains, or chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream, or um, tractor or, or dump truck. Um, I've never asked them Babylon or New Jerusalem, though. I may have to, may have to, to do that. Um, not really. But that, is, but that is the question. It's exactly the question that confronts the churches that John is writing to in Revelation. And even us today, knowing the ending, hoping and trusting in, in God, um, reuniting heaven and earth and, and dwelling with us forever, there's, there's a clear but, but unspoken invitation to align ourselves with one of two ways of life right now. One represented by, by Babylon, the other represented by a city with a garden. And that's what we'll look at today as we continue in our Revelation sermon series. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your, to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear forth your fruit in our lives. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from uh, Revelation 21. Uh, verse 10, and then um, the end of 21 through the middle of, of chapter 22. Listen for God's word. He took me in a spirit-inspired trance to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I didn't see a temple in the city because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who's done what is vile and deceitful. Only those who are registered in the Lamb's role of life. Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water shining like crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is the tree of life which produces 12 crops of fruit bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will rule forever and always. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a continuation of the heavenly vision from last week where John describes God reuniting heaven and earth and dwelling with us Forever. And we learned last week that this is something that God has already begun. Behold, I am making all things 
new. And this morning's scripture zooms in a little, even a little bit more symbolically uh, into this uh, new Jerusalem, which, as we read in last week's scripture, is described as coming down from heaven to earth. And it's described in, in very uh, beautiful and, and compelling ways using these vivid images that connect back and harken back to the Old Testament. God's glory that permeates everything. Gates that never shut. A river uh, of life flowing out of it. Trees of life for the healing of the nations. God's people ruling with God, worshiping God constantly. It's a city with a garden in it. It's vibrant. It's full of life. It's communal. It's abundant. With With that picture that we just read it in your mind, contrast this with the vision that John has in chapter 17 and 18 of another city symbolically described with very strange language and a whole mixture of images including a beast, a woman riding the beast. It's called Babylon. And it's, and it's characterized, described as a home for demons, a ghost town for dead spirits, unclean birds and unclean beasts. It's described as being full of lustful passion, causing other people to stumble. Sins piled as high as heaven, self-glorifying in love with power, thinking that nothing or no one will ever be able to stop it. Now, in order to understand what John is talking about here, we have to realize that for John's audience, then this would have taken them immediately back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Babylon serves as a kind of archetype symbol for everything that is wrong and broken in the world. Which makes sense because Babylon was one of the nations that took Israel captive. But even all the way back in Genesis, we see we begin to see the development of this idea of a kind of representative city of all that is wrong with human pride and power and selfishness and rebellion against God. In Genesis, people decide... Uh, to, to build themselves a tall tower in the middle of a city called Babel so that they can make a name for themselves and be more like God and closer to the divine. And Genesis des- describes this as, as completely an act and expression of human pride. Fast forward to later in the Old Testament, the prophets speak words of God's judgment against nations including Babylon that exalted themselves above God, that worshipped their own economic and military power. And so Babylon becomes kind of this symbol, this representative for corruption, evil, self-exaltation, selfishness, idolatry, injustice, rebellion against God, basically everything that's messed up with the human condition. So now back to Revelation. Obviously, there is no Babylon, literal Babylon that John is talking about, but there is Rome, and John's audience would have connected what characterized and defined the Roman Empire then with everything that Babylon represented, selfishness, power, economic and military idolatry. So the new Jerusalem is coming. Babylon will fall. Which do you choose to align yourself with? Which do we choose to mirror? If we choose to reflect a city with a garden, what are we reflecting? I want to focus, there's so many symbols, but I want to focus in particular on two important symbols we see in John's vision of New Jerusalem. The river 
and the tree. The river and the tree. John talks about being shown a life-giving river flowing from the very throne of God through the middle of the city. Again, like so much in Revelation, when you see these symbols, we have to think Old Testament hyperlink here. So again, this has deep significance in the Old Testament. All the way back in Genesis 2, God plants a garden in the middle of the wilderness called Eden, and a river flows from Eden to to water and nourish the creation. In a a region that was dry and arid, rivers were literally life-giving. A river flowing from a holy place from God became associated with access to God's very life. When Old Testament writers talk about my soul was parched, my, my soul was parched within me, all of this lies in the background. Thirsty for God. In the book of Ezekiel, the whole nation of Israel is, is described, is personified as a dry wilderness place with dry bones lying on the ground. And then later on in Ezekiel, the prophet has, has a vision an apocalyptic vision, much like John does. And in this vision, he, has, he sees water flowing from the temple. And it starts out as a trickle, and then the Spirit of God leads him a little bit further, and then suddenly it's becoming ankle-deep, and he leads a little bit, he's led a little bit further, and it's knee-deep, and a little bit further, and it's waist-deep, and then eventually it's this huge, massive, life-giving, flowing river that you would have to swim to, to get across. And it's a mighty river flowing into the desert to make fertile what was dry, ground, and even turning salty water fresh. And it's coming from the temple in his vision, from the place of God's presence and glory, flowing out, representing giving life to God's people who felt all dried up. Fast forward to Jesus when he's on the cross, and the Roman soldiers pierce his side in John's gospel. It's described as blood and water flowed out. Blood and water out. An important detail, again, calling to mind the relationship between water and the life of God poured out for the world. So all of this connects and comes together and is pulled together in John's image of a river of life flowing from the throne of God. What a contrast with Babylon, right? So if we're going to align ourselves with the new Jerusalem and not Babylon, we have to remember that the true source of life flows. From God. The river of life comes from God and not any other sources. The river of life does not flow from my job. It does not flow from my status. It does not flow from my possessions or my bank account. It does not flow from what other people think of me. It does not flow from any of the things that I'm constantly confronted with that promise a quick hit for my dry and thirsty soul. I remember when I was little, really little, playing soccer, the days when we played soccer to get the snacks and drinks at the end of the game. And we always used to have post-game drinks and snacks. And for whatever reason, when I played, it always seemed like Sunny Delight was the popular choice. And for those of you who haven't had a Sunny Delight, let me describe it very quickly for you. It's like someone combined concentrated orange, orange juice concentrate with corn syrup. And then someone else thought, you know, that would be the perfect post-game uh, drink to give a kid. Now I realize why I was still really thirsty on the way home from the game in the car. If we're anticipating the new Jerusalem, we need to remember where our thirsty souls can truly drink deeply and be satisfied. We need to go to God. 
And, and this, and this part is so amazing too, we need to remember that we are a channel for God's life too. We are a channel right now for God's life too. We're like little streams of life that, that come together and point to that, that river of life that John pictures one day in the New Jerusalem. I mean, one day, yes, God's glory and, and God's life will flow everywhere. But in the here and now, we're invited to let it flow through us to others. That's why Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We share in the life of God. We have access to God's life-giving presence flowing through us through the Holy Spirit so that others can experience God's life-giving power and presence too. So that others can experience the life that is truly life, the life that really satisfies and won't leave us parched and thirsty later on. There's this amazing uh, trail in, in our neighborhood in the woods where we like to hike, and it's down by, down by a stream, and there's a gigantic yellow poplar tree that grows uh, along, the, along the bank of the stream, and it's amazing to look at. We always stop to look at it because it's like this tree has stretched out its entire root system down the six-foot embankment to dip it into the water of the stream, to soak up as much of that life-giving water as possible, like little fingers reaching down in there. Are other people able to do that with our lives? Are there people able to do that with our lives, with our, with our life together? Be able to reach out, stretch out, and find the life of God. As, as little streams of God's life channels, we're called to bring life wherever we go so that families, so that communities, so that neighborhoods, towns might flourish, might flourish just like trees along the banks of a stream. Now, the other, the other major symbol, one of the other major symbols is the tree of life. And in John's vision, John says that the tree, uh, the tree of life was growing on either side of the river. On each side of the river was the tree of life, and it was producing 12 crops of fruit, bearing fruit each month. The tree's leaves were for the healing of the nations. This is a picture of expansive abundance. Expansive abundance. Of course, the tree of life, if that sounds familiar, also takes us back to Genesis and the tree of life in the Garden of Eden representing access to God's abundant uh, presence and provision. Once again, in Ezekiel, part of the prophet's vision Includes trees growing on either side of a river that bear fruit every month. And guess what? Whose leaves are for? For healing. Jesus is hung on a tree. And yet paradoxically, this dead tree with a dead body on it, a crucified Savior on it, ended up being a kind of tree of life. Once again, all of this crystallizes and comes together in John's vision in, in Revelation. John's vision is very similar to Ezekiel's except for one important modification. John adds that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Of the nations. In other words, this, this vision is even more expansive and abundant than Ezekiel's. 
The healing and wholeness that comes from God, the salvation, you hear the root salve in salvation, healing, is not something reserved for certain groups of, of people. It's for everyone. And it's even for groups, institutions, and those harder to see social, cultural, political realities that also need to be healed and made whole. In this city with a garden, there is abundant provision from God and expansive healing at every level. Healing of nations. Healing of nations, not conquest, not exploitation. Again, what a contrast with the Babylons of the world. If we're going to align ourselves with the new Jerusalem and live in expectation and anticipation of the wonderful things John describes, we need to be mirroring the expansiveness and the abundance of God's healing love. This tree, the way this tree is described, this tree is producing a ridiculously abundant crop of fruit. God is an abundant God. Do we, do we trust in God's abundance? Or are we more driven by fear and anxiety around narratives of scarcity and, and not, a lot, not enough? People should be able to look at our lives. People should be able to look at our lives and see the abundance of the fruit that God can provide. You know, things like joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, self-control. And think, wow, I wonder, I wonder if God can bring forth that kind of fruit in my life too. There's also a sense of accessibility with the fruit-producing trees being on either side of the river. Are we making God's abundant love more accessible or less accessible based on the way we live our lives or how we are the church? And then, of course, there's the, the leaves, the healing leaves for the nations, expansive, inclusive of all at every level from individuals to more corporate realities? Are we mirroring a tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of more than just our individual lives? We turn on the TV, even just this week, and recognize not just how much particular individuals need healing, but how entire communities Towns, nations need God's healing love. Aligning ourselves with the vision of New Jerusalem means we need to be agents of God's healing love, like those leaves, vessels of that healing love at every level. Leaves are not just for us as individuals, for the healing of the nations. God's healing love is not just for people that we've predetermined or somehow worthy or who pass through certain litmus tests or meet certain criteria. There are people everywhere. There are systems and institutions and communities everywhere who desperately need to be made whole and to be made well through the love that God provides. We should be a part of the cure as a church. We should be a part of the cure as the church and not part of causing more wounds and more pain. We should be like priests facilitating a connection to God's healing presence 
not gatekeepers as if God needs us to do intake. We should be mirroring the tree of life with its healing leaves for nations. So, Babylon or New Jerusalem? Which city do you want to live in? Which do you want to align yourself with? That's the implied question that John asks with these contrasting visions. Only one, friends, is God's ultimate reality. And it's the one that John vividly and beautifully describes as a city with a garden. Babylon's will come and go, but their fate has been sealed. God's new creation will last. If we're followers of Jesus, if if we hope and long for that day when God fully reunites heaven and earth and lives with us forever in a renewed everything, then may we now even turn to God for life, healing, for wholeness. And may we even now be channels of the river of life, agents of the healing leaves on the tree grows on either side. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.